the one piece of advice I'd give to people, and I continue to do this, is don't get pigeonholed. I have a son, actually, who's in HR in New York City, and he's in benefits. And I keep telling him, you got to get broader than just the retirement plans and the benefits area. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure and manage important benefit programs, Make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that, quite frankly, often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. My guest on this episode is John Barbieri, an extremely seasoned HR executive. John believes in being a jack of all trades and values the importance in getting your feet wet in all different areas of human resources. Let's dive right in. John Barbieri, I uh, really appreciate you joining me today all the way from North Carolina. How are you today, my friend? I'm great. Thank you. Nice weather down here. Beautiful spring day. I'd love to be able to say it was the same. (laughs) Uh, John, we are a little bit under the go in terms of time. So uh, if it's all right with you, I, I say we get rolling. What do you think? Works for me, Adam. All right. So I like to start the conversations with a little rapid fire, just a couple of real short questions just to kind of get your brain stimulated and also let the audience learn a little bit more about you, not just you, the professional. Sound good? Uh, That sounds perfect. All right. So would you consider yourself an introvert, an extrovert, or uh, a centrovert, ambivert? Kind of their centrovert, ambivert, one of the same. I would say ambivert for sure. I definitely feel I'm pretty balanced between the two. On the extrovert side, you know, highly energized by other people, comfortable in social settings. I consider myself a good networker. Mm. On, the, on the other hand, I love to be alone. Never had a problem with that. I like to go to walk, for walks by myself to reflect. So um, I feel I'm blessed in that I, I, I comfortable either way. That's awesome. Now, and you talked about uh, walks and you are in some good shape. Is that what you're doing to stay uh, in shape physically? <laughs> Good question. I used to belong to a gym, but given this current situation. So yeah, I live in a uh, development with a lot of sidewalks and open space. So I try to walk occasionally, run or play basketball just to get some exercise every day. What do you do to stay in shape mentally? This is one that I'm sure a lot of people could learn from. Yeah, I mean, I read, but that's not so unique. Try to just challenge myself. I find Something that I've been doing the last few years is if I, if an idea pops into my head or I hear something or a word that I'm not sure what the meaning is or a phrase, I'm constantly on Google. I probably Google things 50 times a day and learn information or that I would never have otherwise known. And it's such an easy, you know, that back in the day we had encyclopedias, but that was, that was quite a task. So I just try to 
keep up, challenge myself to not just like see a word in the book and say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. But to Google it, to I do crossword puzzles and play board games with my family, challenging ones like Rummy Q and Phase 10. But yeah, it's key to try to stay mentally alert. Completely agree with you. So if you don't mind, share a habit that you have, something good or bad. One of my habits I've had for as long as I can remember is I'm a list maker. I always make lists. Sometimes I have lists to go with my list. You know, I try <laughs> try to do the to-do list and then I try to prioritize my to-do list. So I end up almost with two lists and then I have other lists of more longer term projects. So it keeps me focused, I guess, and it helps me to organize my day. But Sometimes I think I get a little too stressed about, about it and I need to be a little bit more. Uh, so I guess this is a, a bad habit. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to be a little bit more going with the flow instead of so structured. Gotcha. I'm, I'm a list guy too. I mean, I find it to be really rewarding when I'm able to cross that line through my list. So I like to consider it a good habit. What do you say we roll into um, a little bit about who you are and why you're here today? Would you be kind enough to give us an overview of your background and uh, what you do and your area of expertise? Sure. I would say that I'm a HR executive and a true HR generalist, been a CHRO at several different organizations in over the past 20 plus years. May not have always had the title CHRO, that, but effectively, that's what I've done. I've been the top HR person at a large international reinsurance company for the Americas, at a um, publicly traded mid-sized company in New York City, a startup based in Bermuda that was recently sold to Liberty Mutual and had HR responsibilities along with some other administrative responsibilities in my current role or the job I was currently in. So I'm a HR generalist who has done really all facets of HR. And you've had some significant, I mean, we're talking organizations with thousands of employees, correct? Correct. Probably my largest role was I was the head of HR, or they call it the managing director and head of human resources for Swiss Re America. Mm-hmm. So Swiss Re is the largest, second largest, depending on how you talk to, reinsurance company in the world. So they insure insurance companies based in Zurich, Switzerland. So my responsibility there was for the Americas, the US, Canada, Mexico, had about 4,000 employees, had about 60 people reporting up to me. I was based first in New York when I was with this, you know, as one of the groups within that entity. And then I spent a little time in Zurich, Switzerland. And then I was back for most of my career in Armonk, New York. And that's where the North American headquarters was located. Gotcha. So uh, a lot of responsibility uh, <laughs> holding a role that significant. Was there one area of uh, HR that kind of took up most of your time or was it pretty spread out? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a good question, Adam. It was kind of spread out. I mean, I I would say probably where I spent a lot of time was managing the team, if you will, because mm-hmm. there was set up like a more traditional HR department where we had centers of excellence. So somebody who was in charge of compensation, payroll, uh, HRIS benefits, and then you had HR business partners who had HR consultants or generalists reporting up to them it was aligned by uh, business. So I'd have regular meetings with all of my direct reports. We'd have sometimes team meetings and then spent time with the executive team as well. 
uh, one of the, because of the nature of the executive team where he had people coming from everywhere from Mexico to Toronto to different places in the U.S. We would get together once a month for a whole day or two in our month and talk about all the business relevant business issues and HR would update, give a report uh, as well. So I would say I spent a lot of time on managing the team and interacting with the other executives on the executive team. That's great. Was it hard for you to earn a seat at the table? It was easier because I had a CEO who really valued human resources. And it was interesting because I had actually was in Switzerland when I was offered this role that be through a reorg. The guy who ultimately became the CEO for the Americas was Swiss. And he came over and with you know, limited understanding of U.S. employment law and mm. you know, some of the things you need to be aware of to be successful in the U.S. business environment from an employment law perspective. So having somebody like me was, was very, very important to him. And I was also a company globally that really valued the HR function and really listen. So I really think having a seat at the table is always a challenge. And I think your personal credibility comes into play greatly and your relationships, obviously, with the executive team. But having a CEO that supports you and gives you that platform for me was the key. How'd you earn that? Like, obviously, they needed you and uh, they recognize that. So that's great. But what did you have to do to earn the respect to stay at the table? I had to deliver and I had to, when people came to me with questions, issues, and they did, I had to be able to respond. And sometimes it was, it was not things that they wanted to hear and I had to push back or, but I think in the end, they realized what I was doing was for the betterment of the company and for them and maybe not the answer they wanted, but the right answer and and just being consistent about it, being proactive, also being responsive, mm. trying to answer emails within a day, trying to um, be visible, walking around, being available to employees as well. There's the tricky part about human resources and anybody who's in it knows is you're both an advocate for the employees as well as you're part of management. You have to balance those two things very delicately and you can't be focusing on, on one area to the detriment of the other. So uh, I think I was able to manage that balance. So what do you like as you kind of reflect on what you've done? What do you like the most or, or the least about the field of human resources? Yeah, I like being able to have an impact on the organization and being able to really feel that you have made it a better place to work and you have helped to navigate through some challenging times or challenging issues and human resources is constantly changing because of well the social environment new laws that come into play the competition out there and being able to anticipate and bring solutions to the table to me was what got me up in the morning and kept me enthused some of the things i didn't like was as much as hr has progressed with regard to technology and it has tremendously progressed there's still a have heavy admin functional part of it, whether it's actual, in the old days, it was just paperwork, now it may be data inputting, but that's kind of inevitable, right? There's a whole admin side, which it's sometimes it's necessary, we have to do it, but sometimes it's not that much fun. 
<laughs> what are you seeing as trends in the industry? It's funny because e-learning is really important. And I think now with the pandemic, the e-learning has taken on an even greater importance. We were going to have some uh, outside vendors do some training in real time in some large office locations. And obviously that's been put on hold. And rather than put it on hold indefinitely, the idea is now to do that virtually. And so I think you'll see more and more of the uh, e-learning becoming prominent. And I just noticed today, Adam, something that you would appreciate, I read in the Times, that uh, one company, CHRO, was doing weekly blogs and webcasts to all of their employees, which I think is a cool way of keeping in touch with your employee group. You know, some companies are sending out emails or corporate communications, but I really like the idea of a webcast or a blog. Yeah. What do you see as like the biggest focus these days? So you got the e-learning or there, is there a biggest spend category? Is it, is well, it recruiting? Yeah, is it benefits? Yeah. Is it the systems like you mentioned, the HRI? Yeah, I would say hands down it is and probably always will be talent management, which takes many different uh, things to account. So talent acquisition, recruiting, hiring, you know, going out, getting your brand well-known in the market. Uh, when my, most of my career has been in the uh, area of insurance, uh, commercial property and casualty, very competitive. Mm-hmm. And uh, not, you know, not a, unlike, say, personal lines where we, they have commercials for progressive and, you know, Liberty, and you see them on TV. A commercial is different. It's more business to business. So, you know, making sure that you're a uh, employer choice and that people who are looking within the industry know you, know the company, and that you're able to attract the best talent available. So talent acquisition, then what you get in there, it's the employee development part of it, whether it is training and development or having attractive compensation and benefits packages, treating people right, having a culture that people want to stay in. Career pathing has always been huge, particularly for those individuals early in the career want to know, okay, I'm an underwriter. Now, what do I need to do to become an underwriting manager? And what do I need to do to become a department head? What do I need? So on and so forth. So I would say, to answer your question, it's kind of a long answer, but I think talent management is probably the, the focus area. Well, let me ask you this. What's the best skill set that you've developed when it came to the talent management and recruiting? Was it managing the recruiters and teaching them how to bring in and, and kind of handhold the talent? Was it just the art of identifying talent? Is it, what would you say, um, you, that skill set that you acquired? Yeah. You know, it's really about listening to a certain extent, listening to what the manager wants in terms of the hire and being able to kind of level set them or do reality check you know, about what's out there in the market at this pay level. And then being able to develop relationships with executive search and contingency recruiters so that you know where to go. But having, I, I find in, you waste a lot of time if you don't have good job specs, you know, or mm-hmm. if you, you know, have job specs that are unrealistic for the compensation that you want to pay and that, you know, you have to, uh, sometimes go into different lines of business, different areas. And that's challenging because you don't have a track record in that. So it's taken the time to really develop out the profile of that individual. So I think it's doing your homework up front so that when you go out to market, you're ready to do it in a very efficient manner and also listening 
listening to everybody, listen to the hiring manager, listen to the recruiters, listen to the candidates. Yeah. As you go through the process. Interesting. What do you think is the future of HR? I mean, you could talk about the companies or whether it's the insurance world or just in general from what you're hearing. I know you're a very well-networked guy. You talk to a lot of people out there. Are you seeing any trends in particular, whether it's a trend in spending, whether it's a trend in technology, whether it's the type of, I don't know, what's, yeah, a, yeah, what's a trend yeah. that you're or the future looking like for the industry? Yeah, I mean, I think HR will continue to be uh, prominent. It has clearly, and you have more CHROs now, even on the boards of companies, uh, former CHROs, or at the highest levels of the organization. I think that more and more the realization is that people are your most valuable asset. And it sounds like everybody says it's in every annual report, but it's true. And having the right people and having the right HR structure and HR culture is very important if you want to be successful. So I think you'll continue to see the importance of HR. You'll continue to see more emphasis on emotional intelligence, not just mm-hmm. on your skill set, like in, in, you know, whether it be underwriting, actuarial, risk management. Obviously, you need to have that, but having people who can communicate and who are empathetic and able to negotiate and network and all that is also important. Interesting. So the past two people that I've spoken with that have held your role, head of HR, CHRO, whatever is the title you're using, have both kind of echoed two sentiments. And I'm curious to get your perspective on, well, you've already kind of inferred one. And that was just that you're seeing more of an importance for those quote unquote, I hate the term, but they called them soft skills. I call them durability skills. And then the other one was trying from a, from a benefit standpoint the pharmacy spend yeah. being able to. So I, I don't know if you've got any perspective on either of those points. Yeah. I mean, at all of my roles up until recently, when I did with some special transitional work, I was the guy who was responsible with the broker to purchase the employee benefit plans for the company. It's something I've done for over 20 years. And clearly the trend in spending has been in the, the pharma areas, their largest cost increase year over year. So, yes, there's um, at one time when there was talk about these large groups, you know, that with a lot of the insurance brokers are actually going to sponsor being the, the purchasing power to the benefits. But that seems to have slowed down a little bit. But yeah, I think finding ways to save on the pharma is a critical part of saving on the employee benefit side. And, you know, most companies, this is kind of old hat now, have gone into health savings accounts and consumerism. And so you have a better recognition of the cost when your deductible is $4,000. You're paying lower premiums, but you're also getting um, the benefits don't really, the cost sharing is there, but the uh, 100% payment doesn't kick in until you reach that threshold. So yeah. Point being, you're kind of seeing for yourself what the cost of these pharmaceuticals are. Interesting. And then what about with uh, now with what's going on, the, the COVID, how do you think that's going to affect the world of benefits? Yeah, I mean, already you've seen some information come out about the testing being part of the plan. I don't think anybody really saw that coming. <laughs> I would imagine that there'll be some, someday there'll be some uh, vaccine and that'll probably be like a flu shot as today you know, where you would be covered by your plan, I would hope. 
it would be interesting to see what the overall impact is on, on rates. If you're a large company and you're you know, experienced rated in the sense that you're uh, paying your own claims, you're not fully insured. It would be interesting to see what the impact of that would be. If you have a large population, say in some of these plants out in the Midwest where they've had been hit, what that'll do to the overall benefits cost. It's interesting. Yeah. So let me ask you this. You've obviously been really successful and done some cool things in the HR world. You skyrocketed through to management. As you reflect, it, would this be a field that you would go in? And would you do it all over again? I think about that a lot. For me personally, yes. I've had, and I think when you and I talked at him a week or so ago, I mentioned that I've been really, really lucky in the sense that I went to a what was really just a small little subsidiary of a Swiss company, and then it evolved. My role evolved into a global role. I was asked to take an international assignment in Switzerland. I got to live in Switzerland and go to meetings and see other parts of Europe. And I, you know, we we would have we were regionally organized. We would rotate the uh, executive HR meetings, and so I went to one time in Hong Kong. And, uh, it was just, I got to do things and see things. So when I worked at Sampo International, I would go to Japan. I went to Japan three years in a row. So for me, it was, I never expected when I went into HR to have a role where I would get to do those kinds of things and have those cultural experiences. And I got to know the Japanese culture fairly well. I got to know, you know, the, the Swiss German culture pretty well. But that was the sort of an ancillary benefit. No, I've been very blessed with my roles, and I, I have enjoyed HR. One piece of advice I'd give to people, and I continue to do this, is don't get pigeonholed. I have a son, actually, who's in HR in New York City, and he's in benefits. And I keep telling him, you got to get broader than just the retirement plans and the benefits area. Now you have to get into other re- benefits plan areas, like medical and dental, and you know, then kind of maybe branch into um, compensation and be somebody who oversees comp and Ben HRIS and payroll and so forth. Unless you love what you're doing, that's a totally different story. If you just want to stay in that very specialized area, that's God bless you. That's a great thing. But if you want to progress within the HR profession, then I think you need to um, look for ways to broaden your role. Interesting. And how do you recommend for someone who's listening to this? Because the majority of the of our audience is like 26 to 50, 54, somewhere around there. These are professionals yeah. that are really interested in their careers. And I'm sure they're sitting there saying, all right, John, what did you do? What, you right. know, or what advice would you give? Obviously, you got to crawl before you walk, before you run. But uh, is it a mentor? Yeah. Is it... Um, uh, yeah. Well, mentors are always great, I would say. But I think don't be afraid to try new things. You have to sometimes learn on the job, I guess is the answer I would give. Like I, I started out in recruiting. So the first early part of my career, I did college recruiting. And that's a very specialized area. And then I branched into all recruiting, so experience hires. Then from there, I got more into employee relations. And that wasn't even part of my job description. But <laughs> people would come to you and ask you questions. And then you go to the maybe your HR director and ask them, well, how do I handle this? And then you get benefits questions. And as you go on, uh, at one point in my career, I, had, I worked for a very good company, very good job, and a boss that was a mentor to me. But he had me sort of pigeonholed in this one area. And I really wanted to branch out and learn other things. So I went to a startup, which it was 
you know, the whole scope of HR. That was kind of my first time being, and I was probably 33, 34, running all of HR. And I didn't, it, the, the beauty of that job, and I think back is it was a subsidiary of a larger company. So the mothership provided the benefits plans, payroll and all that stuff. So you didn't have to create it on your own, but you had to administer it. You had to know about it, you had to learn about it. So that was a way of learning about these areas without having the full responsibility and authority. And then my next role, I did have that because, and I was comfortable with that. And then rely on professionals. You need brokers. If you're buying the benefits plans, you know, there's a lot of brokers out there, the big ones, and then there's others. And rely on people who have the expertise. Don't think you can do it all yourself. I think that point is huge. And that's something that I've noticed that a lot of people in your field have done a poor job at doing. And that's just the relationship side and recognizing the importance of what you just highlighted, because there's so much on your plate. You need to be able to trust people. And uh, you know, if you can't build that relationship, it's going to be hard for you to do that because there's only so much you can do. So I think that point that you just brought to our attention is huge. Do you care to elaborate on that anymore? No, I just think you can't, you know, you have to start somewhere. So you can't be afraid to just jump into water and you're going to make mistakes. And I remember the first time I set up a 401k, it's like, oh, this is pretty overwhelming. It's a pretty big responsibility, right? You're spending all this money. You're... But there's plans that are prototype plans that are designed for smaller companies. And it's a master plan, if you will. And then you just kind of decide with your executive team what elements of the plan, provisions, and so forth you want to apply to you. So you have to be able to jump in the water, even if you can't swim initially, and you will. You'll find your way. Have confidence, to your point. Be open-minded. Look to the experts ask questions, and don't be afraid to make a mistake. I remember the first time I presented an employee benefits update to uh, the board of directors. It was an outside board at one of my companies. It was my first time ever presenting to a board. And one of the uh, financial people, the CFO, asked the question about cost and you know, kind of related to your question earlier about pharma costs and increases, and how much we should keep, and how much we should pass off to the employees and all that. And I answered, but then I kind of tried to engage her and some of the executives because I was kind of looking for some guidance. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Anyway, I got it. But then I was told later that I wasn't the appropriate place to do that. But I learned learned a lesson about reporting to the board, which I'll never forget. And next time I didn't ask them, you're not supposed to ask them questions, I guess. But at the same time, all right, it was a learning experience. I didn't uh, get fired. I didn't and went on from there and we built from that foundation. And I also, in that same meeting, there was a couple of questions that came up that I wasn't totally prepared for, which I then made sure that never happened again. Hmm, that's a good point right there. So we've covered a lot today. Is there anything in particular that I should have asked you that you can think of that's really important that you'd like to share to the community of people that are listening? No, I would just say, what you asked me about mentors and best advice and so forth. I mean, I, a piece of advice I would give is just listen, be true to yourself. And I go back to a situation years ago, probably 20 years ago, when I was caught between two CEOs, a new one and one who was kind of on garden leave. And, and there was a request uh, made and, and it were totally the opposite. And I remember going to the new CEO and I, and I was saying, oh, you know, what 
do I do? I mean, you're telling me one thing. He's telling me something else. Like, you know, he was my boss for two years. I still kind of report to him. Help me. And he says, like, listen, you got to do what you think is right. You got to be true to yourself, kind of weigh the facts and make a decision. And that's been a good yardstick that I've used throughout my career is, you know, sometimes the answers, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be contradictions. There's going to be times when it's not clear what's right and what's wrong based on what others want you to do. You just have to do what you think is right. That is good advice. <laughs> good advice. Well, John, I really appreciate you carving some time out on a, a Sunday afternoon to uh, enlighten me and to share your story with the audience. Unless there's anything else, I want to uh, wish you a great day and uh, remind you to always network wise. All right. That's beautiful. Thank you. I'm going to go back out and enjoy the nice sunlight here. <laughs> nice. Thank you, Adam. You Thank got you very it. much. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to NetworkWise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always NetworkWise. <laughs>